You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. Later in the program, Vice President Kamala Harris traveled to Indianapolis on Monday to meet with lawmakers about an Indiana abortion ban recently passed out of committee. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, SIM swapping on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB, hosted and produced by Richard Fish. But first, your local headlines. On July 18th, at the Richland Bean Blossom School Board meeting, Ready Schools coordinator Jamie Miller spoke about a grant RBB received called the 3E Grant, which stands for Exploration, Engagement, and Experience. I'll just give you a quick overview and I'll look forward to sharing more down the road in the fall um, as we start to implement this grant. But the 3E grant is a pathways grant, so supporting districts in starting to both wrap their heads around and make actionable changes toward career pathways, not just in high school, um, where the next level programs of study are starting um, to be implemented which are the CTE clusters of courses that represent different career clusters in industry, um, but then also looking at PK-12 career progressions and what pieces we can put in place in the elementary and junior high levels to start to better inform students about the pathways um, that are both available to them and those that are the most the most quickly growing in our region. Um, so... For example, the business pathways at the high school have generated a lot of interest among students, both business management and entrepreneurship, which is a marketing pathway. Um, and so in each of our schools, student-run businesses or student-run enterprises is a piece of our Ready Schools plan that has attracted a lot of attention and has been a really um, excitement-generating strategy within our Ready Schools plan. So those student-run businesses will be one strategy of the Ready Schools plan that are that can benefit from this pathway. So now as students start to self-select into business courses at the high school, into a new entrepreneurship course, which is an elective course at the junior high, um, and then into various programs at the elementary level as well um, that are putting students in those small business owner roles, starting to explore what it looks like to manage money, to delegate roles, um, to lead all of those same skills that are on our graduate profile. Um, this grant is just building out various strategies that you can see on the flyer that I shared with you um, to start to implement those strategies and those elements of our existing Ready Schools plan in each of our schools. Assistant Superintendent Matt Irwin shared the 2023 budget calendar with the board. So the, the 2023 budget calendar is just an informational item. You guys aren't voting on anything right now, but I just brought this to you for the last couple of years. Again, bringing it to you again, just to give you an update of what that process looks like. We've started the heavy lifting of budgeting right now. Just we've got our June 30 balances, which are important to actually being able to start the budget process. 
our budget forms are open on Gateway, and I've been actively working on that uh, now since we closed out the uh, month of June. Um, in August, we'll come back, and, and that's where I'll, I'll ask for permission to advertise, and I'll give you a rundown of just what the budget looks like, what the difference is from last year, why it looks different, what those numbers are. Um, we'll kind of run through the whole deal, just kind of giving you a comparative of how that looks like and what it's looked like in the past. Um, so that way you have a good idea and an ability to ask questions. I did put on there, just as I always do, if we thought there was a need for a work session to dive into it deeper, always leave that open to you if you if you guys feel like that's something that you want to do. Um, but in the last couple of years, we haven't done that, and I think that's that's been fine as long as I continue to communicate with you about what what what's going on. So... Um, September will be when we, we have our budget hearing, um, and then in October is when we adopt. Um, and so then we'll turn all that into the DLGF, and then we typically get the 1782 notice, which is our actual budget order, which will happen, and typically it happens in December. Um, sometimes it rolls into the beginning of January, but it'll most likely come in December. So this is just kind of that update of what to plan for here for the next couple months because we will be talking about the budget every month for the next couple of months. Next, Irwin asked the board to approve the curriculum associates quotes. Yeah, so there's a lot there on this one. And so um, it, it takes a while to go through this because it's you've got different pro program needs and the principals can attest to this. We've got the diagnostic, you've got the personalized instruction. We had an, a, we had an, um, and a renewal one more year on our math adoption curriculum. So there was a lot there, and some of that is paid from different places. The diagnostic testing is paid from an assessment grant that we get through the state. Part of it's paid through the Boys and Girls Club, that they help offset some of that to the school corporation. And then some of that's paid through our textbook rental fund. Um, but all of that is there. All of that is stuff that we do on a year-to-year -year basis. But all that stuff, as it comes together, obviously surpasses the, the threshold that you guys come back and, and approve that. But it is just a renewal of the continued programs that we're using. They're not new programs that we haven't used before. So it's stuff that's familiar to our, to our staff um, and, and to what we do now. And so it's just approving that and, and going on with it. So with that, I'm asking for your approval of the curriculum associates quotes for the diagnostic testing, the personalized instruction, and the math and reading curriculum. The board approved the program quotes unanimously. The next Richland Bean Blossom School Board meeting will be held on August 15th. At the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meeting on July 18th, City Legal Larry Allen updated the board on the IU Health parcel purchases near the hospital site. We did close on the IU Health parcels besides the main hospital site, so that happened on June 30th. So we've now taken over uh, possession of those parcels, and we should see uh, demolition starting quite soon uh, on the Phase 1 East parcels that are uh, east of Rogers Street. Housing and Neighborhood Development Director John Zodi added that the HAND Department handed out door hangers to inform nearby residents and businesses about the changes. Next, Deputy Mayor Donald Griffin presented on Resolution 2249 to approve a purchase agreement for a property at 320 West 8th Street. This is uh, referred to as the Showers uh, Complex. Uh, our, right now, currently our mayor, uh, I mean our, our neighbor, not mayor, I'm sorry. Um, uh, we're, uh, we've entered into a offer to purchase agreement uh, with CFC. Uh, for uh, the other 
Uh, there are three parts of the Showers Complex. Uh, one is own, currently owned by us, the other is owned by CFC, and the other part, the northern section, is owned by the, uh, the county, Monroe County. Uh, we have an offer to purchase on the CFC portion. Uh, it has 62,000 square feet of Class A office space. Uh, it will almost double the space we currently have. Uh, it sits on 0.82 acres and uh, we are purchase, purchasing this primarily for our public safety headquarters, uh, which will include the police headquarters as well as the fire administration uh, uh, headquarters. Uh, the asking price was $12 million. We have a mutually agreed uh, uh, to offer to purchase at $9,250,000. Uh, and this is roughly $149 a square foot. Um, if we were to build new, we're looking at conservatively, uh, we're looking at $300 a square foot if we were to build new uh, uh, headquarters. Uh, and, that, and like I said, that's, that's conservatively. Um, so this offer to purchase is contingent upon several things happening. Uh, we have due a due diligence period of about 60 days, uh, uh, and so we're going to have to start immediately on that. that. That 60 days starts when the offer gets officially accepted by the RDC. Griffin explained what they still need to work on before turning the space into public safety headquarters. We're going to have to find out how much it's going to cost to convert the space. Uh, for our needs, for public safety needs, and that may, uh, that's going to include bringing in architects and public safety uh, uh, construction experts to see how much it's going to cost to uh, to uh, put together, to carve out that space uh, for our uh, police uh, facility and fire facility. Right now, our police facility is about 21,000 square feet, the one located on, on 3rd Street. Uh, and then the, uh, the 4th Street uh, um, Fire Station 1 currently uh, is, a, is our fire station, but it also holds the administration portion of uh, our fire department. And, you know, that's, that's a very small space right now, which it's, it's probably less than 1,500 square feet. Um, and... Uh, what else do I, let's, let me see here. So experts, architects, uh, we have to analyze the current leases uh, as well as still do our inspection period. Still do the inspections for physical and mechanicals and that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and that's it. Commission member Deborah Meyerson asked if the total square footage would be used for the public safety headquarters or if it could be used for more departments. Griffin responded that they don't expect it to be for solely the headquarters. However, he thinks that the lack of space for the police station is a priority. No, we, we don't expect to use all of that space. We do know that the uh, current police station is, is uh, undersized. They are uh, busting at the seams, but uh, we, we're, we're going to wait for the experts to determine what we need for future growth uh, for the police department. You know, there's many things that we have to, uh, you know, consider. Uh, are we, are, we're, we're not just looking for space for 
Bloomington right now, but we have to think about a growing Bloomington, whether that includes uh, a, a annexation or, or are we going to grow within our own, uh, w you know, what we have right now. But we're definitely going to need more space for uh, for police. But no, we don't expect to use uh, uh, all that 60, uh, 62,000 square feet for the police and fire. Commission member Cindy Canarney asked Griffin to speak to the necessity of purchasing the property. Griffin responded. I mean, we, we have uh, uh, serious, uh, um, now it was, it, was, it was worse prior to the pandemic because now we have so many folks that are, uh, you know, a couple of days at home, a couple of days here, or the, you know, so it's, it's, we're not uh, as, as busting out of the seams as we used to be, but uh, some more space could definitely help, especially more rooms like this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you've been here and where someone's waiting for you, uh, uh, that kind of thing. So there is that ability uh, to, uh, uh, to, to add additional space, much-needed space. The commission approved the purchase agreement. The Bloomington City Council will have to approve it before it is finalized. The next Bloomington Redevelopment Commission will be held on August 1st. Indiana lawmakers are moving forward with a bill that would ban almost all abortions in the state. On Tuesday, the Indiana Senate Rules and Legislative Procedure Committee voted 7-5 to five on Senate Bill 1, which would ban abortions except for rape, incest, and where the mother's life is in danger. The bill passed out of committee after over 50 people gave testimony in opposition to the bill. Vice President Kamala Harris traveled to Indianapolis on Monday to meet with lawmakers about the bill. Here's what Vice President Harris had to say. Thank you, Representative Gianquinta. You, uh, the representative came to visit with me in Washington, D.C. Um, to talk about all of you and the people of this beautiful state. Um, and it was from that conversation that um, he also made an invitation for me to come and visit with you. And so I'm here today to thank you because the people at this table are not only local and state leaders, you are national leaders on the front lines of one of, one of the most critical issues facing our country. I want to thank Representative Carson for joining me and flying in with me today um, and for your leadership in Washington, D.C., representing the people of the state of Indiana. As has been said, the United States Supreme Court, in the Dobbs decision, took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the people of America, the women of America. Let's contemplate what that means in and of itself. That in a land that was founded on the important principles of freedom and liberty, that such a thing would happen and not without grave consequence. So that is the context in which we meet and fight. 
This has created a healthcare crisis in America. And as has been said, Indiana has already been on the forefront of this very issue. As Representative Pryor described one of the more publicized and well-known cases in terms of what this issue means to real people, including children. And I will tell you, around our country, we are seeing indeed many states since the Dobbs decision and attempting even before to criminalize health professionals, to punish women. States that are creating no exception for rape or incest. And I am a former prosecutor. I specialized in crimes against women and children. I specialized in, in child sexual assault cases. The idea that in some states, after a child or a woman or a man, but in particular in this case of abortion, a woman or a child would have endured such an act of violence and then to suggest that she would not have the autonomy and authority to make a decision about what happens to her body is outrageous. So these are the parameters of this issue. And of course, there are more. I would also say that on this issue, one does not have to abandon your faith or your beliefs to agree that the government should not be making this decision for her. An individual should be able to choose based on their personal beliefs and the dictates of their faith, but the government should not be telling an individual what to do, especially as it relates to one of the most intimate and personal decisions a woman could make. Here in Indiana, I am here to support these extraordinary and courageous leaders. And in particular on this day, where Indiana is the first state since the Dobbs decision to convene a special session to propose a law that includes, based on what is being proposed, what essentially will be a ban on abortion for women. Because do be clear, um, and maybe some people need to actually learn how a woman's body works, but when you understand how a woman's body works, you will understand that the parameters that are being proposed mean that for the vast majority of women, by the time she realizes she is pregnant, she will effectively be prohibited from having access to reproductive health care that would allow her to choose what happens to her body. So these are the realities. The president has signed an executive order to protect women's access to abortion medication and has taken action to protect the constitutional right to interstate travel. And we will do everything in our power to 
follow through on those commitments. Um, but what we know is that this issue of access to reproductive care and a woman's right to make decisions about her body relate to other risks that have been posed by the Dobbs decision. We are looking at an interpretation of the Constitution that suggests Clarence Thomas said the quiet part out loud, <laughs> that this puts at risk an individual's right to make decisions about contraception, puts at risk the right to marry the person you love. So when we discuss this issue and when we contemplate what it means, understand that it could have a profound impact on just about everyone in our country who has any association or interest or concern about these various issues. So for all of those reasons, what these leaders at this table are doing right now to stand in defense of the women of this state is by extension to stand for the rights of women throughout our country. The president and I take seriously our work that is about protecting the health, the safety, and the well-being of the women of America, and that includes the women of Indiana. And that is why I'm here, and I look forward to our conversation, and I thank you all again for your leadership. The bill now moves to the Senate floor, where it's expected to pass. Senate Republicans have indicated that they hope to pass the bill by Friday. Up next, SIM swapping on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB, hosted and produced by Richard Fish. We turn to Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Okay, here's one you might not have heard of, but is becoming more and more widespread. This scam is called SIM swapping or SIM jacking, and it happens to your cell phone. First, what's a SIM? S-I-M stands for Subscriber Identity Module, and it's a tiny chip mounted on a small card inside every smartphone. It's a memory chip that stores pretty much everything that's individually yours. Your phone number, the details of your plan with your provider, your photos, contacts, apps. Now the bad guys have found a way to steal your SIM without coming anywhere near you and your phone. This isn't something that's done automatically to thousands of phones at once. It's done one at a time, but it's extremely dangerous when it happens. They need to have some personal information about you, but your personal information has already been hacked, perhaps many times, 
and is floating around out on the dark web. Last year, for instance, T-Mobile suffered two major hacks in August and December that stole the phone numbers and personal info of millions of subscribers. Besides, once they focus on you, the scammers can find out a lot by researching social media. If the crooks have enough info about you to answer security questions, they can call your phone provider and pretend to be you. They tell a sad story about losing their phone and replacing it, and convince your provider to switch your account to a new number. Zap! Your phone suddenly doesn't work, and they've got all your contacts to play with. What's worse, if you use two-factor ID to log into places like your bank account, the one-time code will now come to their phone. And if your password is stored on your phone, they've got that too. So how do you protect your phone against SIM swapping? Watch what you post on social media. Watch out for phishing emails and texts, the kind that lead you to enter personal data. Make sure your password for each online account is a strong one and a different one. Use PIN numbers and any other extra security options you have. Make your security questions things only you know and aren't part of public records. The school you went to is a bad choice, but your favorite teacher would be better. You can use a password manager like LastPass, and that can help but it's not the best answer. The best security is a physical device like YubiKey. Y-U-B-I-K-E-Y. Research YubiKey and see if it can work for you, because it works very well indeed. Or you can stop using your phone for so many things, especially banking and buying. We don't have enough time in this segment to give you all the info available, so your homework today is to do a search online for SIM swapping and read up on it. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. 
and I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 